friends, it's episode six here on JFJ Pod. I don't know if I like that. Just trying it out. Are you feeling it yet? I know I am. I look forward each week to these conversations with Ryan and the teaching team. I mean, we have fun, we nerd out, we learn what's not to love. This week, our conversation builds on Ryan's recent sermon on Mark 4, 34 through 41, where he invited and challenged each of us to follow Jesus into the storm in our own particular contexts. Together, this week, we ask some important and some silly questions. Questions like, how are the twin realities of Jesus' humanity and divinity on display, and what are the cosmic implications of that? Is Jesus possibly narcoleptic? Was it a demon storm? What is the hardest spiritual discipline for Ryan right now? All that and more in this week's conversation. Thanks for joining us. And remember, if you have questions or a story to share about how Jesus is transforming your life and faith, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at jfjpod at northcoastcalvary.org. Now for this week's conversation. Ryan Pfeiffer. Joseph Carlson. We made it back for another episode of the Just Follow Jesus podcast. Once again. Once again. <laughs> uh, we're digging into, thank you for your sermon this past weekend on Mark chapter four, the, uh, the tail end of it. Uh, Freestad did a- Thank you for being thankful. Oh, you know, well, <laughs> gratitude is an important spiritual practice. It's probably one of my, the most important ones. <laughs> if I, pop I quiz, pop quiz right now for you, what is, uh, what's probably the most challenging spiritual practice uh, for you? And then what's been the most life-giving? Uh, maybe the most challenging spiritual practice is um, is the Sabbath. Mm. Taking a full day of rest. I shared about it in this last weekend's service. I've been holding holding to it, but uh, it's challenging to hold it and to take a full day of not doing that work. Mm-hmm. I just love being productive. <laughs> and, um, but, you know, resting in the Lord has been a huge grace to me and my family. Um, and what was the most life-giving one? Yeah. Uh, it, no doubt for me, it's reading scripture. Mm. I just could read scripture all day. I love it. Have you ever gone through dry seasons with it where it's just like a sure. yeah. wooden book? I have actually. Um, I want to say a few years ago. Mm. I kind of noticed that I wasn't getting lost in the scripture. I wasn't, I wasn't getting doughy-eyed and gooey-hearted over it. I was <laughs> getting into like a more analytical very analytical. A little bit like when you're with your spouse and all you ever talk about is all the things you need to get done for the family or the house or the bills. You know, mm-hmm. you're just starting to lose that fire. You've lost that love. Um, <laughs> yes, yes. There was, I was, I could say I was still interested in scripture and challenged by it, but I can't say I, I was, it was something was just that heart level engagement mm-hmm. with it. And um, I just started praying, asking God to return it. I started just reading scripture um, with worship music going and just without an agenda. And yeah, God just re- rejuvenated that for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've, I've, I liked your description of that season with you in scripture. I've definitely been through that as well, where it's you're like, man, well, at best, I mean, I'm going to get something that is interesting to my mind, but it's, it's maybe not awakening to my heart. 
usually I have to slow down mm. for it to get to the heart. Sometimes it's an in, it's indicative of my pace of life. Mm-hmm. Uh, waiting for th- for things to get to the heart, there's a pace of life sometimes that's needed. Yeah, slow down, let things settle, and that's not always convenient. But the other things te- practically that I do is I do have like probably like eight translate different translations, maybe ten of the Bible in my house. I have all I have Bibles all over the house. I constantly just bounce around different translations, keeps it fresh. Mm. I just don't think you can translate these ancient languages. I don't think any one English translation nails it. I speak yeah. Spanish fluently and I know it's really hard sometimes to nail an expression in one way. It's like, mm-hmm. I want to say it in three different ways. So come to my house, you'll see like Bibles everywhere, different <laughs> translations. <laughs> uh, you're such a good Christian. <laughs> you say that like it's uh... <laughs> uh no but you are uh and i'm glad you're my pastor Thanks, um, it's not you're not a good pastor because of the amount of bibles you have <laughs> <laughs> yes, thanks, man. Thanks. Hey, you know speaking of pastors uh this i just want to ask you that question you know we, we kind of start with this basic question each week which is how how have you sensed or seen god uh, the holy spirit moving in our church this last week. Uh, and I, I asked this not because I'm always looking for some spectacular answer about, wow, this amazing thing happened. Like, hey, we saw some healings or this person gave their life to God. Um, it's more so just a discipline for us to, I, I oftentimes think particularly here in the West, we get into this rhythm and pattern of going to church, or maybe we don't, <laughs> maybe we, yep. maybe we need to, that can to, happen. Yeah. Restart the rhythm and pattern, but we start to lose expectation we start to just, hey, it's another thing we do, and it's great, and it's good, and we see people, and we maybe share our lives, but we maybe aren't coming with this expectation that God is going to move in a powerful way. So it's just a practice mm-hmm. to say, hey, uh, anyways, this last week and this last weekend that you you just kind of noticed something that for you had that glimmering edge that's the God's spirit at work? Well, the first thing that grabs my attention is the way in which I sense our congregation I sense the spiritual hunger in our congregation during worship. Mm. And uh, I sense it in sitting through all the services. I, I can, I feel it in the worship though. I just don't feel like our, our church is a church that comes to be entertained by a worship band, but they're a church that comes to be led into the presence of God and to seek God and adore him in worship. Um, some of those standout moments was like last week before this weekend service, but last Thursday we had our once a month, all church worship and prayer night. It's hard to even describe the, the energy that I feel in that little chapel Mm. from that group of people that gather there to worship. And I want to encourage you as a listener, if you have not yet to come and give yet to come in to one of our monthly worship prayer nights, you got to come. It is an, it is such the highlight of the month for me. Mm. The time flies. It feels like it's 10, 20 minutes long, but it's been like, what? We go for about an hour and a half. Yeah. And it is incredible. I was genuinely going to bring it up to the team being like, guys, I think we might need to bump it to two hours. It easily could. I think people will, will they want to make it accessible for everybody. And maybe we will press it out, but it is Mm. just unbelievable. And I'm so grateful for our worship team. Yeah. Uh, the heart, the dedication that they put into leading us is unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Secondly, I sense it in the services. 
I do. I'll sit, I'll sit in at least one of the morning services out in the community. And, um, and then I, I go to the Sunday night service with my family and, uh, I, I just get lost. I get lost in the goodness of God, mm. worshiping with the people of God. Mm-hmm. And I'm grateful for that. Yeah. I, you know, I've mentioned this before, but seven years of doing production, you, uh, you have a different perspective on church than a lot of people do. Um, because you're kind of, you're functioning as overwatch in a lot of ways, keeping your eyes on all sorts of different things, but that allows me to start recognizing patterns and part of, you know, I, that's part of how I kind of map and see how God's moving. And, uh, I, I really, I want to affirm the pattern that you're naming. I've, I've noticed over the last, I don't know, maybe a couple of months, it's, it's never, it's not been explosive, but it's been this steady increase of me seeing people in the course of a worship service hit a, hit a breaking point where all of a sudden they break through to a greater depth or freedom of worship. You know, it's like some, I remember, you know, I remember talking with Jung for years where he was like, man, the guys, the people, when I'm leading our church in worship, I love the people who are engaged in an expressive in their own particular ways. But he's like, you know, it's the, he's like, for me, it's the dad with the dad with his hands in his pockets. He's like, I don't need to see him liturgical dancing, but I'd, I'd love to see when God touches his, his, his heart and the hands at least just come out of the pockets and turn mm. over, you know, and I feel like, man, the worship nights or on Sundays, um, I'm seeing that more, you know? Yeah. It's, it's, um, I just sense God. That's where I sense God's grace on our community right now. Mm. Well, well, the other place actually, now that I think about it is this last weekend was connect Sunday and, um, it brings up the whole uh, topic of helping those who are new to the church feel more connected. And as a large community, trying to make it feel like a small community for people. So they don't feel like a needle in a haystack lost in the crowd. And I was one thing that's been coming up as I meet new families, I've been asking them, how's it been going, getting in, getting connected to our church. The thing that I am hearing consistently over and over without any solicitation on my part is just them on their own, bringing up, how much it means to them when people they don't even know will come up to them and welcome them and greet them and strike up conversation with them, get to know them. Mm. And, and again and again, that's what people are telling me that people are doing that to them, welcoming them, engaging with them and how it communicates the warmth, the hospitality of this church Mm -hmm. on connect Sunday. I gave a challenge to the church. Hey, even for you introverts, if you could just, you know, Cross that chasm of comfort, you know, of discomfort and greet people you don't know, at least three people. You're going to make a huge difference mm. in people feeling like this can be their home church. And I was really encouraged to see people take up that challenge and reaching out and grabbing a hold of people, introducing themselves. And mm. I saw it with my own eyes. And uh, oh, gosh, that is what church is about. Mm hmm. And it's not just for those, it's not just for us to be a holy huddle, but it's to be the, the hands, the feet, the embrace, the welcome of Christ to the world. Mm-hmm. I see our church doing that. That makes me immediately think of that. It's becoming a little bit of a motto. We're going to blame Bob McKenzie and you, but a little bit from a lot goes a long way. Yes. As it applies in hospitality, which is that welcoming spirit. It applies in our, in our financial giving, like you talked about recently, and it particularly it applies, you know, when you ask for a prayer on that Thursday huddle every week, a little right. bit from a lot goes a long way. 
Well, cool. Uh, thanks for sharing just some of what you're seeing God doing in our in our community. And we just pray for more of that to continue more hunger and worship, more authentic, deep, thick relationship um, that makes people feel known, seen, safe to engage with with their pain, with God and with one another. So uh, let's dive a little bit into the second half of Mark chapter four. Let's you called it what into the storm, into the storm, into the storm. And one thing just off the top that I love that you said this last weekend, it's kind of this obvious truth, but the only way to discover certain things about God, about his heart, about his power and about his kingdom is to follow him into the storm. Yeah. And there's going to be storms that we're going to find ourselves in precisely because we've chosen to follow him. Mm -hmm. And Jesus himself will be the one to lead us into storms. Mm -hmm. And ultimately that's what Jesus is going to do. He's going to fulfill his redemptive purpose by marching into the worst storm of all. That is the storm of human rebellion and sin and the just judgment of God on that sin. And he's not going to overcome that storm by, from a distance, he's going to go right into the heart of darkness and overcome and quiet that storm from the inside out on the cross through his death by taking our sin upon himself. And he illustrates that in this moment, but in his own ministry, yet it's also says something about our life with him as followers of Jesus. Hmm. If Jesus is the one running into the building that everyone's running away from, what does that mean about those who are his followers, his apprentices? It means that Jesus is going to ask us to go into storms with him, to go into places that um, make us uncomfortable, that are a challenge mm. for us, where we feel in over our head, or maybe we feel like we don't have what it takes. Um, whether it's into an area of ministry, maybe it's caring for somebody in, that's facing a problem that we just feel like, gosh, I don't know what, how to handle this. Um, or maybe God is leading us into um, some area of revealing who he is to the world, to our neighbor, to our friend, our family that pulls us out of our comfort zone. Mm-hmm. Like for some people on Sundays, it might just be walking across a room and greeting someone they don't know. I know for extroverts, that's like, come on, give me a break. But yeah. for someone who's introverted, maybe for someone who's really just not just introverted, but maybe really genuinely uncomfortable meeting new people. There's just a storm of insecurity, of doubt, of discomfort that they are going through to get to that person. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's a, It's indicative of following Jesus. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's indicative of following Jesus. It's not, I like how you put it in the context of something as simple as, Hey, if you're an introvert, go across the room and, and introduce yourself because I know the propensity. This is a dramatic scene. Mark chapter four, you know, we've got, he's just spoke to the crowds. Um, and they're loading him onto a boat, and then this huge gale comes up, and you know, the boat's about to sink. That's a dramatic thing. I think when you invoke storm language, I usually think about the large crises in life. But part of what I hear you saying is like, no, actually, that's just a, that can be some of the humdrum little moments of the spiritual life, and those are just as important. I know Kelly and I have seen that this last week. Both of us had different times where we were kind of confessing to the other person, Hey, I'm wrestling with anxiety or some insecurity about this, this particular situation that I'm heading into. And I don't feel like I have a clear sense of, you know, how I'm supposed to resolve it. Or I'm, I'm nervous. I don't have the resources to, to rise to the challenge. And it's been really cool because, um, you know, part of like this, this sermon, maybe it was really the sermon in the back of our heads, prompting us to encourage one another saying, 
hey, um, God, like, just go. You're, you have to be obedient, like, go into it. And let's rejoice on the far side when we discover how God is going to show up and give you the resources that you need. And I mean, the three times that I'm thinking of that have happened this week, hmm. all of them were amazing, like such encouragements where we came out the far side, like filled with joy, filled with peace, with our faith um, feeling strengthened. Yeah, that's such a good story. It's a good testimony. Hmm. This stuff is real. It is. Uh, oh, lo and behold. <laughs> it works. It works. <laughs> the way of Jesus actually works. Yes, it does. Hey, well, there's, you know, there's all sorts of things that we could talk about. We got a list up on the board, you know, and we're not going to get to all of them. So I'm just going to, we're going to narrow our focus a little bit, Ryan. And um, I want to talk about the person of Jesus that we see in this setting. It's got a lot, this whole, this whole setting has got a lot of concrete details. Um, you know, they're, they're mentioning stuff like the time of day it was, or that he's asleep on a cushion or, you know, mm. that I, waves are breaking over the boat and it's nearly swamped. We've got, you know, these uh, kind of intimate uh, statements from fearful disciples. So, uh, it's a very human scene. It's a very, it's, uh, yeah, it's action. It's kind of action packed. And we see Jesus and his, some of his humanity, but we also see him in his divinity. So I, I feel like that's a big, a big point that I'd love for you to reflect on a little bit. How do we see Jesus's human humanity and his divinity at work in this text? And like, why is that important? What does it matter? Such a good setup. It more than probably any other passage at this point, Mark, you really do see these two uh, aspects of his nature juxtaposed right next to each other. And it puts them in stark contrast to one another. His humanity is clearly demonstrated in his exhaustion that allows him to sleep in the midst of a storm. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of, you know, I think it's hard to, even imagine Jesus like that. We think of him as such a powerful person, but maybe if we know the gospel of John, we might remember when he was hungry and he was tired and he sat by the well, mm -hmm. says that he was tired. Jesus in his humanity is exhausted and he's been ministering to people and um, he, he sleeps. And yet here's a guy who's so tired. He's got, he's taking a nap yet. He's also the same guy who, when he wakes up, has enough power, authority to calm an ocean. And there reveals his divinity. And mm. here they are kind of juxtaposed and put together. And it certainly reveals something about Jesus that the disciples don't fully understand. So they're like, who is this? And Mark is wants to intentionally draw our attention to that. And if there's any doubt about that, um, that's why it ends with the disciples asking, who is this? Mm. Right. <laughs> it's he's. It, they're beginning to get the picture that he's more than just a good teacher. Hmm. And the significance of his humanity and divinity here is also crucial with what I was alluding to earlier, uh, that this whole scene kind of it represents the bigger work, redemptive work that Jesus is here to do. Hmm. And the bigger redemptive work that Jesus is here to do is not just calm or stormy oceans, but his work is to bring the restoration of all things. 
that the work that Jesus's redemptive work is going to bring renewal, not just to our lives morally, to our lives spiritually, but to our lives physically. He's going to renew all of creation and that the implications reach into the, you know, reach cosmic proportions. God's going to renew the universe because even the universe was affected by sin. Mm. We see that when sin entered the world, that we see calamities and natural disasters um, are part of our everyday life. We see them all over the place. The hurricane that was in Florida. How do we make sense of this? But in the kingdom that's coming, when that is fulfilled and consummated, (laughs) we're not going to see those storms Mm. because Jesus will have brought the restoration of all things. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you're, you're seeing in this, some of Christ's cosmic ministry at work. Um, It's not just personal, interpersonal. It doesn't just affect our, our own individual hearts and minds. It doesn't just affect our communities. It's his ministry. The, the gospel of the fullness of the kingdom of God is a holistic healing to all things. Yeah. We're even going to see that as we look at, we, if we, if we were to look at the next four scenes that Mark is going to walk us through, he is showing us the full scope and range of Jesus's authority and Jesus's redemptive purpose. Hmm. We, he, we see here his authority over the forces of nature. Number two, we're going to see in the, this coming weekend, Jesus's authority over demonic spirits, legion. Mm-hmm. Um, so powerful that this guy was breaking chains, right? It's very, very sort of uh, demonstrative, just mm-hmm. like the storm was. Uh, then we're going to see Jesus heal a girl who's dead, a woman who's been bleeding for 12 years and a girl who's dead. So Jesus's authority over death over sickness, a woman who's been bleeding for 12 years and has spent everything she has on doctors. And then we're going to see Jesus's authority over, oh, and that's it. Yeah. So the storm, uh, legion, sickness, and death. Mm. And so who can do that? Who has the authority to do that? Mm -hmm. Not the Messiah they were expecting. They were just hoping for a Messiah who would kick out Rome. Jesus has come to do so much more. And it's weird because that miss of expectation is both hard. It's disappointing for the disciples. Like, oh, if you just get rid of Rome, but what he's come to do is so much bigger, so much better. Mm-hmm. That's what we're seeing here in Mark. Mm. The nature of Jesus as the son of God that he identifies at the very outset of his gospel. So let me ask you this question. This is technically Jesus's first uh, natu- nature miracle. That's right. And in your sermon, you know, you kind of talked about, you talked about that and you talked about, you know, kind of the analogous storms that can come up in our own lives. And we've named some of those. So uh, in digging into this passage a little bit deeper, um, some scholars think that there's a little bit more going on here. We've talked about this before, how in kind of a Hebraic worldview, the the term sea yom oftentimes is kind of connected to in in a literary way but also in a spiritual way to forces of chaos you know that are in opposition to the forces of order that lead to flourishing which is that's god you know the activity of god in the world so two particular terms here in one the the greek 
um, epitimon, it's rebuking, and in Jewish literature, it's it's connected specifically to exorcisms that pave the way for God's activity in the world. Um, and then the second one is pefim. Pethimoso, that's what it is. Um, that's the be still or and then stay still, kind of like t- talking to a dog. So here's my question. Um, some people read this text and they interpret it and saying like, well, hey, there's actually, this isn't just a nature miracle. There's something else that's going on here. He's kind of, Mark is intentionally using some specific Greek terms that he uses elsewhere. Like that first one, it's used in um, in chapter one, verse 25, and in chapter three, verse 12, um, so do you think that, do you think that's a, a, a reasonable reading of the text? I mean, you didn't bring it up in your, in your sermon. So maybe I'm, maybe I'm, I got a sense of what you're going to say here, but yeah, talk to me about it. Well, I think that Mark is very intentional in his use of Greek. His prose is, is Spartan. It's tight. It's clean. And I think when he uses certain terms, uh, and what, uh, he, he is wanting us to make an association, no doubt. He wants us to make an association between Jesus's authority over the storm with the, his authority over unclean spirits. If you remember back in Mark chapter one, the way that people recognize Jesus's authority is over the way in which unclean spirits have to obey him. Mm. And they are sort of like this malevolent force that threatens to drown their lives in grief and sorrow and evil. Um, it's to me, is it possible that this storm is demonically driven? It's possible, but it's highly speculative. Yeah. And uh, I think a much safer ground is to see that Mark wants us to see, wow, Jesus, the same way that we've seen Jesus have authority of unclean spirits, that authority includes the entire natural world. Mm. That's huge because when we think of the Old Testament, uh, and I made references to it, in the message in Psalm uh, 107, Psalm 89, and Psalm 93, we see God and God alone has that authority over natural, the natural world. We see that with just a word, he spoke the physical world into existence. And then with just a word, Jesus silences the ocean. Mm. It's almost like that fiat kind of authority that Jesus is displaying here. Mm-hmm. Again, on the theme of authority, you know, it says in Psalm 107 that, that God calmed the storm, the raging sea to a whisper to, to stillness. And Jesus is doing that here. Mm. And I, like I said, it as we're going to see in the next few parochopies with Legion, with the woman who's been bleeding and with the girl, the girl, Jairus's daughter who dies, we are seeing how far does Jesus's authority go? And we're seeing it goes all the way. Mm. There is nothing we will ever experience in which Jesus does not have authority over. And there's, that is incredibly comforting and puts us on such firm foundation Mm. of peace and confidence in this world. It's comforting. It can also be really challenging because if we're, if we're honest, um, I know there's been times in my life where one of the, one of the things I have to confess is that, oh man, I had, I had miniaturized Jesus. I had limited, you know, what's past pain, um, you know, or fear or whatnot. But I, I really wrestled with believing that 
that is true, that Jesus has authority. Okay, maybe I could read the scripture and be like, okay, he clearly, he did back then, but he sure doesn't feel like he has authority over everything now. And so that's where, in some ways, this is a, you know, the story can be an invitation for us to ask that question. Am I, how big is my God? Hmm. You know, um, do I trust that he has authority over all aspects of, of my life and experience and that he's, he cares and that he desires to act. Is that because, wait, do you mean that seeing Jesus's authority in all these scenes kind of raises the question, why don't I see that today in my life? And and we kind of, you think of memories where Jesus didn't answer a prayer for healing or yeah. didn't heal, didn't calm a storm that you prayed for. Yes. I definitely think that it, for, for a lot of people, it's got to, I don't think I'm unique here. I think it's got to prick that, you know, ask that question. Hey, you know, twofold one, maybe as you were saying, where, where were you in the midst of that? If you have authority, like where were you? Cause it seemed like you didn't show up in, in that particular storm in my life. And then on the other hand, just the fact that like you named, Hey, we see in scripture that he is present. He does have authority over all aspects. Does it, does it prick the question enough in us? Well, have I given him authority over every aspect of my life? That's a great question. Absolutely. I mean, you know, there's, that's a whole subject in itself, to be frank. Um, I think the question of why don't we see those miracles as often as we, it appears it's happening in the gospels. Um, there's so much we could go into on that. Mm -hmm. um, one interesting book by Francis McNutt, worth a read. Uh, healing, reawakening. He kind of chronicles the history of healing and the church's position on the miraculous and the change and the shift throughout church history and how the church started to marginalize uh, healing and belief in who could, um, uh, in the name of Jesus, perform miracles. And uh, it's a fascinating read. I won't say any more, but it's worth reading. Like, okay, if Jesus did, if there's all this healing in the Gospels, why don't we see it more today? Why? What happened? I would read that book. It's an interesting book, Healing Reawakening by Francis McNutt. But the point that I was making earlier is that we're looking at a picture of Jesus's redemptive purpose. And we know that um, that the kingdom of God has come and we know that it's been Fulfilled, but not consummated, right? Jesus mm -hmm. is going to come again. And the analogy I use is that it's like we're engaged with Jesus. We're engaged with Jesus and we are beginning to taste the benefits of that relationship and that intimacy, but it's not consummated yet. Mm -hmm. The engagement ring is on the finger, which literally is the imagery Paul uses to describe the Holy Spirit as that seal, that deposit. But we haven't, we're not seeing the full consummation of the, of God's will on earth as it is in heaven. Hmm. And so this side of heaven, sometimes you're right. It is because we lack faith. We haven't opened that area of our life to Jesus. But secondly, Jesus hasn't returned. Hmm. And that's when we're going to see the full benefits of his will on earth. It doesn't comfort us in the pain of the moment, no doubt. Hmm. But it does speak to the lie that all this is not true. Or that God doesn't hear our prayers. And so in the meantime, we pray. We know that God is a God who still heals. And you know what? I was talking to a couple who's um, 
got a child who's fighting cancer and it's going really hard right now for them. And they're telling me how much this encouraged them because it, it encouraged them to continue praying, hmm. but it'll help them understand why this side of heaven, we may not see our prayers answered this side of heaven, the way that we want, the way that we see happening in the gospels, because we're engaged, but Jesus hasn't moved in yet. Jesus is coming again. And when he does, all things will be made, will put to, be put to right. Well said. So take it you're not a cessationist. <laughs> <laughs> It's true. Mark really, I think more than any gospel, we have to kind of, we're kind of put face to face with these miracles. Oh yeah. I think it's because the other gospels have so much more teaching recorded mm-hmm. from Jesus. So you can kind of get on that, but Mark, no, it's just like, you're just deal with it. The rest of the gospel writers <laughs> are like, Whoa, dude. All right. Homie Mark and Peter, <laughs> they uh, knocked it out of the park with all, without all, with all the action. Like, let's let's fill in some of the gaps here with some of the stuff the guy said. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> this fully orbed picture yeah, of, yeah, of yeah, who yeah. Jesus is. Well, hey, there's there's one more thing that I feel like we have to talk about when we're looking at this particular dramatic scene. We've got them in a boat. Storms are raging. Sailors are afraid. Am I talking about the gospel of Mark or am I talking about the book of Jonah? Do you think that there's intentional parallel there between the two? And if so, what's like, what is, you know, can we, can we learn anything from comparing and contrasting the two? Yeah. Let's just remind our readers our listeners. I'm sorry. Uh, the story of Jonah, like the similarities, Jonah is called to go and preach, uh, God's message uh, to the Ninevites, bitter enemies of the Jewish yes, people. Yes, he doesn't want to go. Which, so he's got a. He gets into it. Which, by the way, where Jesus is going is a primarily Gentile region. Mm-hmm. So there's some similarity there, where Jesus is going with his disciples in this scene, and where Jonah was being sent to go mm-hmm. to non-Jewish people. Secondly, Jonah runs away from God, gets into a boat, and a storm comes over the sea, and the people uh, cry out to Jonah. Uh, to pray to his God in this similar way that um, the disciples wake up Jesus. So both Jonah is asleep and Jesus are asleep. The people in the boat both wake up Jonah and Jesus and ask for them to intervene in some way. Mm-hmm. And uh, both of them um, intervene in a way that brings a calm to the storm and results in in both scenes, the people that watch Jonah bring calm to the storm because he throws himself into the sea. It causes them to worship Yahweh. Mm. And in this scene, it definitely draws the disciples toward that kind of posture where they're like terrified, sort of like a holy fear. Mm-hmm. And they're asking, who is this? Like their view of Jesus just got way bigger. So there is a lot of similarities. But if you were to ask me, what is it? I think Jesus is saying someone even greater than Jonah is here. Hmm. Uh, Secondly, it certainly encapsulates um, or captures the missional spirit of what God had entrusted Jonah to Jesus. Jesus has come to bring good news, not just to the Jews, but to the nations. Hmm. And that's certainly what we get a little bit of hint of here. As Jesus goes to the other side of the Sea of Galilee and begins to do ministry 
in a Gentile region, because as we see this guy Legion um, delivered from those spirits, he asked to go with Jesus and Jesus says no. And he ends up being going and being a witness to the Decapolis, which is mm-hmm. a Gentile re- region. Yeah. And it's just so much like what we see going on with Jonah. Well, not, I like how you can, you contrasted that Christ is uh, greater. His mission is greater. His impact is greater, uh, which is saying something because Prophet Jonah was uh, a pretty powerful one. I mean, all of Nineveh repented. Yeah, he Nineveh brought in time. All of Nineveh all came to their knees in repentance because of his preaching. I mean, that was a, ten- even back then, that was a city that was like, I mean, that was in six figures. I think it was a couple hundred thousand people. Yeah. Um, but even more so, like you already mentioned, this is, this is a, a natural miracle. Not only is Jesus going to the Gentiles across, you know, not only is his, his mission to conquer the powers of evil, but it's, it's good news. It's good news for the Jew. It's good news for the Gentile. And it's good news for creation. As you mentioned, you know, um, here's the other thing. Uh, there's references in other gospels where Jesus directly compares himself to Jonah, but it's, it's actually more specific to Jonah being the belly of a whale for three days. And uh, the way that Jonah throws himself in is similar as Jesus is going to um, put him, is going to surrender himself to the cross. Mm-hmm. So again, what I was saying earlier, this is certainly, it's, it's, I don't want to call it a foreshadow, but it, it is, it, in G- what Jesus is doing, it's a microcosm. It's representing the bigger mm-hmm. redemptive work that Jesus is about to do. Mm. And as we get into the second half of Mark, it's going to feel dark. We're going to, it's going to feel like the forces of evil are just overwhelming Jesus's ministry. And we get to the cross. He dies. It's like failure. It's done. Like Jonah thrown into the sea. He's done. He's dead. And yet Jonah rises again. And so will Jesus. Did we maybe just stumble on the fact maybe that Jonah is Jesus's personal favorite Old Testament prophet? <laughs> yeah, maybe. I mean, is. I know he opens by invoking Isaiah. Jesus but has that's a just love. Like boring. Everybody loves he, Isaiah. Jesus has a special affection for the rascal. Yeah. I mean, on, he's man. got to. How do you uh, put up with a guy like Jacob? That guy was a rascal. Dude, give me a break, or come on, like, Peter. Peter's Jesus. Peter is just a total rascal. Well, you know, another reason that would make sense that Jonah would be um, Jesus's favorite. Favorite prophet is because. Jonah is the most of the prophets and out of all of the canons of scripture, it is the only book that ends in a question. Ah, you're right. So in a lot of ways, it's... And everyone knows Jesus loves to ask questions. because oh, he's constantly inviting us in. That's what a good question does, right? Yeah, it does speak to God's style. And he's got style. I think actually this this weekend you said he was dripping in style. Yeah, he's dripping. He's was just... that intentional? Like, hey, there's the water imagery. He's gonna he's he's drenched. It's a storm. Yeah, but dripping is like more of like a youth colloquialism for just decked yeah. out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes and yes. Can we just talk about a little bit in the, you know, we're, I think we're going to wrap things up here, but can we just talk about how ridiculous this passage is for a second? Um, in, okay, fun nerd fact. We're ending with fun nerd facts. Okay. 1986, archaeologists discover in mudflats near the, the area where Jesus was ministering, a boat 
from the first century. So we have, you can go see it, it's in a museum, you can look it up on Wikipedia, you can find pictures. But, um, so we have information about the boats that Jesus probably was traveling on, and I have the dimensions right here in front of me. They were approximately 26 and a half feet long by seven and a half feet wide, with probably How wide? seven and a half feet ah, wide, okay. Gosh, about four and, a half, four and a half feet tall. And the fore and the aft were probably covered with slightly elevated decking. So the thought is that Jesus... Not, not exactly a king-sized bed for Jesus back there sleeping. No, I now ma- imagine... Well, how did he sleep on that thing? All right, because this is for our cat lovers out here. He's on a cushion. Is he curled up like a cat at the front of the boat? <laughs> <laughs> but in, in all seriousness, it got me thinking. I was like, okay, homie's asleep. While seasoned sailors are freaking out because a storm's coming, which, by the way, it's fun to look into some of the geography of of that area. And like, yeah, no, no, they like um, storms are a real thing on the Sea of Galilee and they happen and they can happen pretty quickly. And because the like because the sea's shallow, um, it can make the water really violent pretty fast. And uh, right now, actually, modern day fishermen, uh, they they have a nickname for it. And it's uh, it's an Arabic and it's uh, Sharkia which is like the root word for shark because it can be storms. The storms there are uh, very fierce. Wow. Uh, so those are just fun, fun nerd facts. But hey, that's something how, I didn't know. How, I didn't know that. Yeah, shark. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, if you're on the Sea of Galilee and a, and a wicked storm comes up, you can yell shark. Yeah. And the locals will be like, ah, oh, that guy. He knows. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I one thing I just can't get over in this is this is my little kid. How? In the world, is he that dead asleep that he doesn't wake up when a boat is almost swamped? Yeah. Like, waves big enough to make seasoned fishermen scared. That's I right. mean, is, Je- is Jesus maybe narcoleptic? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it does, you know, I think it certainly points to the level of exhaustion. And like I said, mm-hmm. we were saying earlier, talking about his humanity, I mean, Jesus was really pouring himself out. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, I think secondly, it, uh, it, it also shows his trust in his father. As I was talking about in the message, his ability to rest in a storm is indicative of his deep trust in his Lord, his father. Remember Jesus, you know, slept alone in the wilderness as John as Mark alone notes among the wild beasts and fasted. I think, I think uh, we have every reason to, to tr- believe that we're not overreading it to say, yeah, tired and confident trust in his father. He could rest. We all know what it's like to be exhausted, but unable to sleep because we were so stressed out or worried about something mm. Yet Jesus was able to sleep little confidence in his father to get him to the other side. And I think that's a good place to end because and that's what this story is about is we can trust that Jesus is going to get us to the other side. He is the good shepherd. He is the savior. He is the one who can get us through every storm we will face. And he alone can get us to the other side. And I think the other side has so many shades of meaning for us. It mm-hmm. can be in a specific moment. Ultimately, he's going to get us to the other side and fulfill God's promises for our life, for this world, for humanity. Because Jesus 
is the Christ. He is the Son of God. Mm-hmm. He is the Holy One. And there is no other. It's a very pastoral close. There we go. I'm looking forward to next week, Ryan. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna grill Nick. He's got the easy task of tackling demonology head on with uh, <laughs> you know the demoniac yeah. and legion. Um, so maybe next week will just be us um, counseling and consoling Nick for all the really tough questions that he's gonna get when he dives into that. Yeah, he'll be ready. He has more than enough <laughs> in his arsenal to respond with. He truly does. All right, friend. Thanks for taking the time. See you next week. Thank you, Joseph. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of the Just Follow Jesus podcast. For more information about the series or our church, you can visit northcoastcalvarychapel.org. We also still have some copies of a special coffee table quality journal that we designed and put together to accompany this series in the Gospel of Mark. This whole podcast is a resource of North Coast Calvary Chapel. It's produced and directed by Joseph Carlson. The editing has been done by Nate King, and the music is by the one and only Brian McMaster. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next week. Mm